It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code BOOM to get $30 off your first month. That's BOOM. Talkspace.com slash BOOM. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Locked on Vikings, Locked on Podcast Network. It's a two-guest Thursday. We'll have Arthur Arkish of Locked on Bears on tomorrow with Sage Rosenfels. But today, a couple special guests, one of them Vikings-related, the other Timberwolves-related. Stick around for that. The big news of yesterday, Pete Carroll mentioning in passing that the Vikings may have made a move with an offensive lineman, but we don't believe it to be true. At least at this point, there's been no report. We bring in our first guest to discuss this major talker. Arif Hassan joins us on Locked on Vikings at Arif Hassan NFL. He writes for 1500 ESPN and the Cold Omaha Network of Websites. Arif, how are we doing this morning? We're doing pretty good, man. How are you? Yeah, doing okay. You know, been better, been worse. Kind of in the middle Kind of that middle-of-the-week lull, I would say, or at least it was in in Vikings country until Pete Carroll decides to drop a bomb yesterday inadvertently. Uh, And and if people haven't heard about it yet, it's basically Carroll tossing into a press conference answer that the Vikings made a big move with an offensive lineman. And we can even get the audio from it and play it later. But everybody then goes to Twitter thinking the Vikings have made this – this secretive clandestine move during their off day when it seems like all is quiet on the news front. Pete Carroll either spoke out of turn. He was referring to Jake Long. He was making stuff up. I really think he was talking about Jake Long. And I know a lot of people, uh, you know, were saying, well, you know, he's talking about it in the context of a trade. Uh, well, he said it was going to be a big name. Jake Long doesn't seem like a big name. Uh, and, you know, I think both of those things kind of like miss what he was getting at, which was, a discussion about how difficult it is to incorporate offensive linemen mid-season. Like, that's kind of the context of the question he was answering. The question was about a trade, but the question was really about, you know, how difficult is it after you trade for someone to incorporate them in? And so he talked about how Minnesota uh, had already done that, which, I mean, he didn't use, like, had already done that. He said, I saw Minnesota made a big move for an offensive lineman. And I really think that he is talking about Jake Long. And I know people... We'll say, well, you you know, move. Maybe that means a trade, uh, and really, a move just means any sort of player acquisition. You know, he said a big name. Jake Long's not a big name, but you know, he is. It's not you know the same thing as Austin Shepard. He's a first round pick. Now, mind you, he wasn't he wasn't signed this season. That's why he was available. He was a backup last year, so it's not as if you know he's a premier offensive tackle. But I mean, he's a recognizable name. So I think that's really what Pete Carroll was getting at. I think he was just casually talking about things that happened and not. Like, yeah, we were in trade talks, and, you know, someone else, you know, said Minnesota is a competitor of yours. You better, you know, up your ante or something like that. Like, I don't think that happened, uh, and I don't think he would, like, 
forget to like keep quiet about that. Here's my theory. I think the Seahawks are so starved for offensive linemen like the Vikings are that when Pete Carroll saw the Vikings snatch up Austin Shepard onto the practice squad, he was thinking, <laughs> oh, there's the big name that would have helped us. So in Pete Carroll's eyes, the Austin <laughs> Shepard acquisition was a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's as good a theory as any, isn't it? Right? Right. I, I mean, he was a great, help the great unbalanced uh, lineman last season, kind of the sixth man off the bench. I mean, he'd probably be the starting guard for the Seahawks right now. Yeah, better than uh, probably Demarcus Webb. You know, who knows? Yeah, Seattle's got issues too. It's not just the Vikings. But what Pete Carroll maybe didn't say was that the Vikings really struggled to incorporate that new offensive lineman they got, Jake Long, 13 reps, gave up a sack and a half, couple strips. It was not good. Not good at all from Jake Long. I know you probably watched the film. Just from a from an comprehensive, holistic offensive line standpoint, was it as bad as it looked? You know, sometimes, you know, uh, an offensive lineman gets circled by a broadcaster on a screen, and you remember that offensive lineman for the rest of the day, and it turns out they actually had you know, a pretty good day, despite how big that mistake was that was circled on the screen. That wasn't the case for Jake Long. <laughs> he had a legitimately bad day. Uh, and he was only in for, I think, 13 snaps. Ten of them were pass protection snaps, giving up two sacks and, uh, you know, another pressure uh, on, on 10, 10 pass uh, blocking snaps. That's worse than any individual offensive lineman performance that we've had so far, you know, with the Vikings this season. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty high bar, you know, to clear to have, you know, the worst one out of all of that. Uh, but, you know, giving up pressure on 30% of your passing dropbacks, that's frankly unacceptable. And I can see why, you know, the Vikings kind of sort of ended their experiment a little bit early. But, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a really, really poor day for long. And I think a lot of it, you know, has to do with not knowing exactly what the protections were. Definitely one of those two sacks was confusion about whether or not he had to block you know, the inside rusher who was the safety or the outside rusher who was, you know, a defensive end or something like that. So, you know, some of that is, is probably going to resolve itself going forward. But, you know, you can't help but wonder, hey, you know, is this is, is the left tackle position, like, really solidified? You know, I'm pretty optimistic about Long's progression over the course of the season, but certainly the questions are there. It would have been strange to me had the Vikings actually – done what Pete Carroll insinuated and pulled the trigger on another move because here's Jake Long, who's got a week and a half to get ready, who hasn't played in a year. Mike Zimmer admits to the media that he expected Long to be rusty. So if you expect him to be rusty and then he's rusty, how can you panic and then go sign another guy? I mean, I think this is it for the Vikings. I think this is the group that they've accumulated and they're going to have to go forward with. And I know there was a big story about Mark Schlereth the ESPN analyst telling the Pioneer Press that he thought the Vikings' decision to rotate tackles in that game was was a terrible decision and it didn't make sense. And I don't know if I would speak that strongly about it, but it does seem like an odd place to run experiments. I mean, they're, they're talking about Jake Long only practicing in pads one day. Well, it's not like you didn't have the option. The Vikings could have practiced in pads Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. They just chose not to. So I guess for me... I'm wondering why you choose the game to get him up to speed. Why don't you work a little bit harder Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? I mean, maybe that's maybe that's myopic of me to say, but that's just where I sit on it. Well, I know that uh, you know coaches are very strict about their schedule. They don't want to get out of routines during the week. You need to install you know certain things on Wednesday, install certain things on Thursday, install certain things on Friday. And frankly, there's just not really that much time during uh, you know a modern NFL practice week 
to work on skills or development. All the skills and development work that happens usually happens in the offseason. Players don't really get better as a result of coaching. Uh, they get better as a result of playing in games. And I think that's maybe, you know, I'm sure they had this discussion, like, hey, we've got, you know, another player in, maybe we should, you know, put on pads and stuff like that. But, you know, if you don't have your game plan installed by the time you go up against one of the top teams in the NFC, you might be in just as bad a situation as you were by having a rusty offensive lineman out there for, for you know, 13 snaps. And, again, you know, they were thinking about rotating him, and I understand, like, there are pretty significant problems with, like, chemistry and things like that. Uh, and, you know, pretty significant problems with incorporating protections and going forward. And those are all very legitimate concerns. Um, but if, if your plan was only to have him in there for, you know, maybe 13 snaps in the game, and Vikings played a lot of snaps, uh, then, you know, maybe it doesn't seem like, you know, from, from, you know, before you play the game, from that view, like that big of a deal. You're only going to have him in for 13 snaps, get him ready, get, you know, a little bit of energy going. And, you know, with the new CBA, you might only have a certain number of padded practices you have all year and you don't really want to spend them you know right away so i think there's a lot of things at play i can really understand why the vikings would rather stick to the routine because you've got the routine for a reason you need to install you know the two or three new plays that you can install that week you need to install your game plan specific stuff you need to know especially with you know how often you know the offense and defense changes you know what the calls are at the line of scrimmage and you know what the what the team is going to do in this situation in this situation you can understand why you know you wouldn't you wouldn't have more padded practices just so that you wouldn't disrupt the rhythm of practice. But certainly, you know, with with the benefit of hindsight, uh, it certainly seems like it was a it was a poor decision because six sacks, two of them just because of Jake Long. You know, if you could avoid those two sacks, I mean, it was you know maybe I wouldn't, wouldn't say it was a close game, but early on, you know, I think that if you had gotten a little bit more going, you know, it probably would have ended up as a close game. So yeah, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it was probably a bad move, but I can understand why they made it. Yeah, excellent, excellent points, Arif Hassan, at Arif Hassan NFL. And, you know, there were a lot of plays, too, in that early in that game that I think if they go a different way, the whole game's probably different if you believe in the butterfly effect. But hindsight's always twenty twenty. tough to speculate uh, retroactively. Now, on the other side of the ball, with the defensive line, I asked Sage Rosenfels about this earlier in the week. He didn't seem too worried, but no sacks for the defensive line and not a ton of pressure on Wentz. Now, a part of that, I think, is Philadelphia getting the ball out really quickly, but I think another part of that is the Vikings just didn't have a terrific rush with that front four, and they didn't really blitz all that much. Now, I think uh, you wrote about it beforehand, and you said that the rush from the front four should be good enough to pressure Wentz, and I guess Philadelphia just handled the Vikings with their patchwork offensive line better than the Vikings did on their side of things. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I haven't taken a closer look at the defensive line play in particular, but you know, just running the numbers and taking a look at, you know, who had what pressures and stuff like that. You're right, they didn't blitz that often and I'm actually still glad that they didn't blitz that often because Wentz has been very, very good against the blitz, even if he's been very poor against pressure. It just so happens the blitz doesn't usually come home against the Eagles. So from that perspective, it kinda makes sense that you didn't have that many blitzes in the game plan going forward. Uh, one important thing to note, though, it could have been kind of like it was, and again, I'll have to you know review the film to you know double check and make sure. It could have been a situation where the Vikings, their front four was consistently beating offensive linemen, but they didn't, you know, they didn't get close enough for it to be you know legitimately called a pressure because of how quickly you know he got rid of the ball, and that's a win for the Vikings because they're one of the better tackling teams in the league, one of the best at, at tackling and preventing yards after the catch. And Wentz had a very poor day. I mean, it was the worst day he's had in his NFL career. And that's after 80%, I think it was like 82% of his yardage came after the catch, which really speaks to, you know, how much, 
how quickly he had to get rid of the ball and how short he was passing. And I think that even without pressure, if you can force those short passes like they did Eli Manning, then effectively you've, you've, you've replaced pressure with the threat of pressure, and the quarterback is playing just as poorly. Again, you kind of want them to, to win a little bit more often. I mean, ever since Griffin didn't give very much pressure at all, uh, you know, Tom Johnson did a fine job, but he wasn't in on that many snaps. And Daniel Hunter was really the only member of, of the defensive line that consistently got pressure. Brian Robeson didn't get pressure. Uh, Linval Joseph, you know, he's a nose tackle. He's not supposed to get pressure that often, but it is rare for him not to get pressure. Shamal Stephan didn't get pressure. So it was a very unusual situation for the defensive line not to do much, but it could be that the reason they didn't log pressure is just because the ball got, you know, out of Wentz's hands so early. And because it got out of his hands so early, he had a really poor game. Now, I know you're not a big Wentz guy, and you were panicking at his 3-0 start that your evaluation of him might not have been spot on. Do you feel a little more justified after watching him the last uh, two, three weeks? Yeah, a little vindicated, but uh, just as just as maybe I shouldn't have panicked in the first three games, I shouldn't feel that much justified after the you know the the following three games. He's a rookie; he's got a lot more left to prove me right or prove me wrong. Uh, and you know we've seen a lot of rookies come out with hot starts that 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 chill later. So you know maybe maybe I'm right. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see. But there are there are signs that you know there are signs that Wentz is doing very positive things that. You know that 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 he's a very good uh, quarterback that you can bank on, and there are signs of just the opposite. I mean, Wentz has been actually a very short passer, and it's actually kind of difficult to see in some of the in some of the passing statistics, like you know average depth of target, because what he does is he passes short and out on a lot of screen passes, then he passes with an occasional deep bomb. There's not a lot of stuff over the middle. Uh, he loves those deep outs, uh, and there's not a lot of intermediate stuff, and so uh, he's not using the full field. So maybe. He's hey, he's like yak dependent and also dependent on like when the defense closes up on those big bombs. And once you figure that out, you figured him out. You know, or you could say, you know, hey, he's incredible against the blitz. He's taking what the defense is giving him. You know, it's, it's all you could go back and forth, but there's a lot of very positive signs, a lot of very negative signs. Uh, and, you know, some more of those negative signs have appeared in the last couple of weeks. So, you know, maybe, maybe my massive bias will pay off. <laughs> Vikings Bears on Monday on Halloween. Vikings always have, always have a tricky time with Soldier Field, but it's the one in six Bears. They've got a big piece coming back on offense and Jay Cutler, and I believe a big piece coming back on defense with Pernell McPhee. Who do you think is more impactful in their return? I think Pernell McPhee. I think the Bears really have one decent unit among all of the potential units. I mean, I guess you could count the receiving unit, but with how poorly the quarterbacks have played. I don't really want to count them quite yet. Um, but their, their decent unit is, is a pass-rushing ability. Leonard Floyd has come on a little bit more in, in recent weeks, and having Pernell McPhee come back, I think, really gives the Bears a dimension on defense. I mean, their defense has been bad. Their offense has been bad. They may be the worst team in the NFL. Uh, but the, the part of the team that really can function most effectively, I think, is that pass rush, and I think Pernell McPhee you know, adds to it at a time when they're really developing, you know, some of those other pass rushers. So I think McPhee is going to be a bigger impact, even though, you know, traditionally, it's the quarterback. Arif Hassan at Arif Hassan NFL, always a valued contributor on Lockdown Vikings. I know it's probably time for you to go get your your large caribou campfire mocha and sit down and watch film from uh, the the 1982 Falcons or something. So we'll we'll let you do that. Thanks for your time. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. Arif Hassan, always the best. Quick word from one of our fine sponsors. If you love football, 
Are you ready to get into the action? Check out BetDSI.com. Over 20 years in business, a top-rated business, safe to play, and it has a great football special. Sign up today and get $10 free to try their service. BetDSI is also offering a 100% bonus on your first deposit. Great customer service, fast and easy payments of winnings, and hundreds of football and basketball wagers to choose from. Also get UFC, political lines to bet on the election. BetDSI even has live in-game wagering on all football, basketball, and other major sporting events. Not sure if they have live in-election wagering. That would be unprecedented. But you can play virtually everything at BetDSI. BetDSI.com. BetDSI.com. Go there now. Use promotion code VIKINGS10. Get your free wager and start winning today. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Take a brief pause from Minnesota Vikings football to introduce a special guest. It is the brand new Locked on Timberwolves host, Zach Bennett, in person, in studio. In the flesh. Zach Bennett, how are you doing? Your maiden voyage was yesterday. Did you listen? Yes, I listened. (laughs) It was a great preview of the Timberwolves game, but I'm here to... I want to hear what happened because I walk out of a broadcast last night calling state quarterfinal soccer and I look at my phone. I look at the box score, of course, disappointed to see the Wolves lose by four. And I look at the bench numbers and it looks like the same kind of uninspiring bench play. And ironically, they get the best contribution from Chris Dunn, who was pretty efficient. But other than that, I'm not sure they made any threes off the bench. Nobody in, in any meaningful way contributing with points, with rebounds, with assists. Just another lackluster bench performance. Is that one of the scapegoats last night? One of the scapegoats. I think another scapegoat would be defense. I don't think they defended well enough late in the game, uh, specifically with closeouts and allowing Memphis to to hit clutch threes late. I mean, they only were their, Memphis was one of two in the fourth quarter from behind the three-point line, but... You know, being late to your closeout allows the guy with the ball to attack you and drive the lane and, and create penetration, which is the you know every offense in the league is predicated around trying to get to the rim. So when you can't defend the three-point line, you allow penetration. Things uh, things don't go your way. But Andrew Mig- Andrew Wiggins missed two free throws late that would have kept the game within one possession. Uh, Ricky Rubio had a key turnover, stepping out of bounds as he took a three that would have pulled him within one. Uh, Vince Carter, the oldest, alive. the oldest player in the NBA. I call him the Danny Glover of the NBA. I'm getting too old for the, you know, where I'm going with mm-hmm. that. Uh, shuts down Wiggins in the in the fourth quarter. Uh, plays wonderful defense, and you know, give it up to Memphis. They uh, they played well enough to win. This wasn't entirely the Wolves collapsing and blowing an 18 point or a 17 point lead in the first quarter, but you know, Memphis did enough to win, and and guys like. You know, Mike Conley and Marcus All are, are still here and still to be reckoned with. Mike Conley hits the the big shot at the end to pretty much seal it, and it it's too easy to generalize. 
after one game in the season, but it does have that feeling just emotionally of this is this is no different. This is a Wolves team that can get a lead, that can play with the team until the end, and then superior teams just flip that switch and they, they win it down the stretch. I mean, how many Wolves losses have we seen in the last two minutes in the past 12 years? Innumerable. Obviously, the Towns, the Wiggins, the Levine dynamic is encouraging. I think they were all pretty good in last night's game, especially Towns in the first half. So what needs to change to get over this hump mentally? Well, I... I think you can you can flip it and turn and spin this game into a positive. You can learn a you, moral victory. You say not a moral victory, but you take it and you say, "Well, that sucked. This doesn't feel good. I have a really crappy feeling in my stomach. I don't want to feel this again." And slowly but surely, if you're in enough of these games, eventually, with the right leadership and coaching and enough talent, in theory, you can overcome this this proverbial obstacle in front of you. It doesn't help that. Uh, their execution was late. I mean, they shot less than 30% in the fourth quarter. I mean, it's just they were just unable to come through in the clutch. I don't, I don't think this is a, a an insurmountable hump, and the game itself isn't irredeemable. But, um, you know, it's, it's disappointing, as you said, the bench, because this is Thibodeau's you know, draft pick, Chris Dunn, who had a nice game. He was still a net negative six throughout the – course of four quarters but I mean these are guys that that Tibbs brought in that were supposed to bolster that lack of depth that we had last year and it just they just didn't get it done so is it Thibodeau or is it Thibodeau honest question I've heard both Thibodeau it is Thibodeau unless you're calling him Thibs in which case it's Thibs because I've heard a lot of Thibodeau since he came here and I has he ever introduced himself to the media has he said hello I'm Thomas Thibodeau or Thomas Thibodeau I don't think he's ever said anything like that in his entire life <laughs> unless you count like fifth grade you know, introductions uh, Tom, um no it's call, it's call Thibodeau it's Thibodeau Thibodeau okay Thibodeau silent H Thibodeau, Thibodeau silent H that, yeah. that's how I've always heard it in in national uh spaces so all right Thibodeau. Now, uh, you're the new host of Locked on Wolves. Big shoes to fill. Huge shoes to fill. Massive. Alan Horton is yeah. uh, is a wizard. Great play-by-play guy. You've had him on the Wolves Wired podcast before, coldomaha.com. Began his 10th season calling play-by-play in the, uh, in the NBA. Were there any good referee calls for him to blow up on? I don't think so. Oh. Yeah, I, I think if he was going to do, an, if there was an Ed Malloy moment to be had, it would have happened... Because of a no call, I thought there was some some tough contact around the rim near the end of the game. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, a couple of plays that he had specifically that went without a whistle, and a lot of people like to see that. I personally like to see the players decide the game when it gets you know when stoppages begin to occur every thirty or so seconds near the end of the game. I just think that takes so much away from uh, the entertainment value of basketball because when you go to a high school game or a college game, and uh, even with FIBA rules, because coaches can't call timeouts unless there's a dead ball, you uh, you really get that dramatic feel at the end, the frenetic pace and, and no stoppages. And, you know, the talent isn't quite what it is in the NBA in all of those leagues, but, you know, in the NBA it's just stoppage, stoppage, stoppage. And that can, that can be sort of boring. But, yeah, if there was a Ed Malloy moment, it, it happened as a result of a, a no call. I wasn't listening to the radio unfortunately but so how hot will the takes be 
on Locked On Timberwolves now that you are the host. Fire, fire Tibbs. He's got to go. I mean, this, this oh, first game is inexcusable. He's, he's gone. He's winless. He's winless. N- all talk, no results. The the problem, and, and we can go really made on the bit here if you want to have that discussion, is I am filling in for Alan Horton, who, d- who does a, a wonderful job, obviously, or did do a wonderful job during his time hosting. We'll miss him. So I'm inheriting a listenership that either was there to listen to Alan Horton or came to enjoy Alan Horton. So I don't want to... I'm not going to replicate what he did because that's impossible for me to do. Uh, from a format perspective, I think he did too much different stuff. And from a, from a, I guess you would call it an, an access perspective, he's a little closer. And sure. so I'm not going to have the opportunity to do all that stuff. But I'm not going to sit here and be first take you know, of Wolves, the Wolves' Twitter sphere and, and whatnot. So uh, informative, educational, and opinionated in that order. I like it. I like that philosophy, that mantra. Uh, let's give us a quick Vikings take. What do you think about this Vikings team from the outside? Oh, I we talked off air, so I'm going to recycle it again because I'm so proud of it. Let's hear it. But yeah, you know, there's been a lot of hubbub. Correct me if I'm wrong about giving up assets or, or so, I think draft assets would be accurate yeah. for some lineman in Cleveland or somebody of that caliber, Joe uh, Thomas, a, a they veteran say. proven lineman because because they, they just walk around uh, on the street. They yeah. fall off trees. Yeah, I mean Jake Long, right? He, right. He was he hang, was walking he, around on the street. He was hanging out. He just found his way to Winter Park and knocked on the door and said, "Hey, I can block people." They could give poorly. J- they could give Jack Breckner a call. Gus Davis grad had a had a cup of tea with the the Colts for a week a couple years hey, ago. David Dixon is assisting down at with Burnsville High School. He's only about forty four years old. He could maybe suit up. Is he available? <laughs> hey, uh, maybe. If you're going to give up assets to get alignment at this juncture of the season when you already gave up a, a first-round pick for Bradford? You're asking your friend for $40 because you don't have any cash left on you at the casino. You're compounding a, you're compounding a gamble with another gamble, and I don't know. You would know better than I do. Is the Super Bowl a realistic expectation for this team? The way the defense plays in – yeah, in my opinion, I think it's a a pretty good defense. I think uh, I've watched the I've watched the Cardinals pretty closely over the over recent seasons, and they've had a pretty good defense. The Vikings look just as good as as they've ever been. So, on one hand, you you maybe have a shot at a Super Bowl. On the other, are you going to mortgage your future with Sam Bradford as your quarterback? I don't know. That's my uh, that's my take. Well, I think Arif and I agreed earlier in the show that it, I think rightfully so. These rumors are false about the Pete Carroll comments and the Vikings trading for alignment. It looks like they're standing pat, which even though it might frustrate fans, is probably the right decision because from a cap standpoint, from a draft standpoint, I mean, the Vikings are already towing the line of not being able to get those 10 draft picks that Rick Spielman covets. And if you trade more of them, and you'd have to trade at least one high pick and probably a, another low pick as well, you would be seriously endangering your ability to bring in assets. And Mike Zimmer doesn't care where guys are picked. He's going to develop seventh-round picks and sixth-round picks. I mean, that's why J. Ron Kirst might be your new starting safety. He's a seventh-round pick. That's, uh, that's what Mike Zimmer can do with just bodies in there. So uh, I think the Vikings are probably stuck with the offensive line situation they have. And, and if you're going to entertain the idea of entering trade negotiations with any team that might deal an offensive lineman, and I know we saw a similar situation at the quarterback position after Teddy Bridgewater got hurt, but you're entering those negotiations going, hey, 
our line obviously sucks. I mean, how much leverage could you possibly could you possibly have? I mean, the other team, the Browns, who they'll end up with a top five pick. They're terrible. They're going. You got. They're watching the Vikings' offensive line. They're laughing. They're going. We're not going to give you anything unless you give us some value. And maybe Spielman dealt with that situation with Bradford because you know you're looking at a situation where you lose Teddy a week before the season. Mm-hmm. You you don't have any leverage going into those negotiations. And I don't want to say he he got robbed with the Bradford deal, but he had to give up value. So that's I mean that's certainly something. What's fascinating to me is the the cap situation because it is unlike the NBA in that we were joking, Arif and I were joking about it yesterday. You go over the cap, somebody comes out of the uh, the closet and takes a random player and takes him out back and, and puts him in the ground. I mean, you die if you go over the cap. And so that, you know, the Vikings are budgeting, and they've got some issues there. So that that was really fascinating to me. Wild it, things happening on the Minnesota sports scene. A lot of drama for a 5-1 for a team, but you'd think they can rough up on the, on the Bears, right? The Bears are no good. Oh, that's what you hope. That's Monday night in Chicago on Halloween. Well, Zach, this has been great to have you on. Glad to introduce you to the family. Welcome to Locked On. Yeah, we're going to have to reciprocate, have you on the – Locked on Wolves, soon enough. I would love that. My basketball takes won't be nearly as good as your football takes, but... Oh, stop it. I'll do my best. Zach Bennett, at ZacharyBD on Twitter, Locked on Timberwolves host. I'm Sam Ekstrom. Thank you for putting up with the segue from hardcore football just for a moment. Vikings talk continues tomorrow with Arthur Arkish of Locked on Bears and Sage Rosenfels at Sage Rosenfels 18. I'm Sam Ekstrom. This is Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.